In healthcare, people are at the heart of what we do, especially our people. The team that makes up the rural hospital workforce is critical to the care of every patient and the success of the hospital itself. Even more critical is supporting and sustaining our people so they can continue to do excellent work for our patients and community. So how do we maintain a highly engaged workforce to keep our team motivated, cared for, and fulfilled in their work? With a culture of listening, empowered team members, and authentic personal engagement. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 22 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. You know, as we kick off our pillar series, I'm pretty excited to start with people, Rachel, uh, because it's truly central to everything else that we do here as a small rural hospital. Uh, Without our people, uh, we don't have a hospital. It's that simple. Not only that, uh, but we don't have a hospital worth sustaining if we don't have the best people available in our workforce. Exactly. And today we're going to learn about cultivating great relationships with and among our team ensuring that our people have the support they need in an environment where they feel confident to take care of our patients and community. That's right, Rachel. And our guest today is Mark Noon, Principal of Leadership 10. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Mark. Hey, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here, JJ. Thanks. Thanks, Rachel. Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Leadership 10? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a rural community, right? I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. That's where I was raised. That's my background. I mean, you can't get much more rural than that. No. <laughs> you guys in Hillsdale, you know what rural is, but then the backwoods of Upper Peninsula, it's it's a, it's a jungle, so to speak, out sure there. Sure is. But, you know, that's the world I grew up in. And then, you know, when I joined the military 25, 27 years ago now, I joined the United States Air Force and, you know, most of the facilities that I worked in were small community type hospitals. I didn't work in the big academic medical centers. Spent 20 years in the United States Air Force as a clinical laboratory director, um, working with a lot of small communities. Uh, You know, even even the bases that I was stationed at were in small areas sometimes. And then when I left the military in 2012, I got hired by a group called the Studer Group, who was one of the, the largest healthcare coaching organizations in the country. And Spent most of that eight years in rural communities as well. I coached some really large academic medical centers, but I mostly coach rural hospitals, some in Michigan, Kansas, Missouri, Colorado, I mean, lots of different places. So probably about 25 different hospitals I directly coached in a rural environment. So it's my heart. It's my passion. It's what I grew up with. It's kind of all I know. You know, Rachel, Mark has an energy and a passion that I'm very jealous about. Uh, I've had an opportunity to hear him before, and he's phenomenal. Uh, I'd encourage our listeners, if you're looking for some engagement, uh, you're going to hear it today. Absolutely. if you want to contact Mark, we're going to talk about how you can do that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Mark, now that we've established who you are and what you do, and uh, certainly I I have a little background uh, information on you, and um, our listeners really don't know much about you. So uh, what we like to do is we like to start with the why. Um, We do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit more. So, um, Mark, I'm going to ask you, what is your why? What what motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Yeah, it's really this this passion for leadership development. You know, when when I when I left Studio Group last year and formed this new company called Leadership 10, it was really focused on leader development which has been my passion, even my military days, it was my passion. You know, when I, at one time in my military career, I, I got promoted from an enlisted troop uh, lab tech to a director as an officer in the, in the military. And I say this like this, on Friday, I'm a lab tech, and on Monday, I'm a lab director. You know, what was my training to be yeah. a lab director? 
a weekend to think about it, right? I mean, that's all the training I've yep. got. And, and it happened so many times and it, and it really frustrated me. And, and so my passion for la now the last 20 years has been, how do I enable people to step into the role of a leader and not have to step up to it? So, so there's this big gap that happens in, in leadership, right? We, we, we jump into this role. I want to reduce the gap of that leadership development. I want people to be ready to go from day one when they step into the role. So, Mark, when we talk about people in this context, what are we really talking about? Uh, is this simply about an employee engagement survey or whether our employees like their jobs, rate us on a scale of one to 10, or is there more to it than this? Yeah, you know, from the people pillar, as it as it sets, it's it's really about goals. And we do that. We, we have employee engagement goals. We have reducing turnover goals, all of those things from that perspective. But for me, it's really about value. How do we create value in the people that we work with, the people we work for, the people we work around? Value is is what's important to them. You know, recently I was coaching a young gentleman and I do this core values exercise where I, I have them list some of their values and then we, we rank them and prioritize them. And his became family was his number one core value of who he is and, and what drives him to do what he does. And when his team realized that was his number one value, all of a sudden they began to realize what, when they call him on Saturday night and interrupt his family time, why he gets a little irritated with them, right? Because that's such a high priority. And then we did this ex exercise with the rest of his team. And so now he, as a leader, begins to understand the values that his team has. And they're very different. You have, you know, 500 people in your hospital working. And you guess what? you got 500 different sets of values and what's important people, right? So it's really about that aspect of the people. So tell us a little bit more about your work and your experience in this area. What have you seen organizations do well and not so well when it comes to supporting their people and learning about and engaging those values they have? Yeah, you know, I, I wrote a book a while back called Set Up, which is really kind of a leader development book. And it's really designed for new leaders. But there's four chapters in there that when I ask audiences of the things that we're talking about today, which are the top priorities? And they're simply this, motivation, communication, delegation, and culture. And when it comes to people, it's understanding what motivates people. And again, 500 people work in your organization, 500 different motivators. And I don't mean literally 500 different, but you know, JJ, you're motivated maybe differently than Rachel is. You guys are motivated differently than I do. If we have somebody who is the leader of all three of us, we need to know what motivates JJ differently than what motivates Rachel. Right. What, what does it take to even communicate with each of you? What does it take? How about delegation? How does that build value in people when we delegate responsibilities, give people the ability to do what they need to do? It gives them ownership. And all of a sudden we've created value. That's that really deep aspect of getting to know people. better, yes. Right. Yes. So, Mark, because we're focused on rural hospitals and healthcare in particular, um, I'm curious what challenges you see rural hospitals facing when it comes to supporting and engaging their people. Uh, is it more difficult to do than we would find in larger settings? That's a great question that I think I hear everywhere I go. And, and here's here's my my take on that is here's what every organization in the country says. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been all over Michigan, so I know the state very well. I've been, you know, grown up there and been in probably just about every neck of the woods. But, you know, if you drive up to Lansing or you drive over to Detroit, um, you have a different pool of people to choose from when it comes to working at a hospital. Does that make it necessarily easier? Maybe not, because more people may be leaving to go to other places thinking the grass is greener at that hospital or things are better. 
versus being where you're at, maybe people are like, you know, I don't want to have to drive too far to go to work. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be engaged here. This is my local community. But the thing that frustrates me the most, I think, when I talk to rural hospitals is they say things like this. Well, Mark, you know, that works over there in Detroit or that works up there in Kalamazoo. But that doesn't work here in Hillsdale because we're different. fill in the blank. And usually that fill in the blank is we're different. different it's the super right? special snowflake philosophy, right? Yes. <laughs> the snow falls differently it does. in Hillsdale. It, than it we see it. Kalamazoo, we right? see it. It does. <laughs> But it's so frustrating to me because having been so many different places, I guess, too, in so many different size hospitals, everybody deals with really the same aspects of, of, of the humanness of, of who we are. Again, going back to motivation and communication and delegation and, and how people like to be recognized, those things are the same. When it comes to keeping them, retaining them, I think there are some challenges, right? Because maybe in, a, in a, the community you live in, there's not enough opportunity for promotion. You know, so Rachel, you're the director of, of marketing, right? Is there a promotion step for you to go from that? Well, Maybe JJ. Not, <laughs> <laughs> Mark will talk offline. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great point. What's it's the, a wonderful point. Right, right. What's the upward for people? And it's often right. the frustration of leaders because Mark, in your position, you know, you went to director overnight and yeah. in a small organization, that's about where you end. I mean, right. we have directors here. I have a director that's been here for 52 years. And right. and when we talk about, you know, that m ability to move up the ladder, uh, it is mm -hmm. often difficult in a rural community. Right. It is. Right. It, it is. And so do we still do the things that are necessary with our employees so that they have the ability to move up when that opportunity comes, right? Are we doing leader development even though, you know, I'm I'm in a position, I'm, I'm 50 years old and I'm in this position of director and I'm not going anywhere for 15 years till retirement age or whatever. But yet the people that work for me, am I investing in them so that either one, they can take my place someday or two, there's an opportunity for them. And am I willing to invest that knowing that it might not be within this organization? That's a tough place for a rural hospital to be in, right? Because we want to grow our people. We don't want to lose them. But is it, it, is it worth the investment? I saw this happen at Studer Group two different times. Quint Studer, when he founded Studer Group years ago, he did this with two employees. He sent them away for two years because he didn't have a position for them. He sent them away to other hospitals, other organizations to grow, hoping they would come back and knowing he would have a position for them at some point. That's the kind of investment I think we need to make in the people. That's where I look at it, creating value. So, Mark, you're the expert. And I'm going to go off script here. That's okay. Okay. Let's go. So I had a leader say to me not too long ago, JJ, there's nothing here for me. Right. And I, I dived a little bit deeper into that. And I said, well, talk to me. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. Well, this is, this is it for me. Yeah. I'll never, you know, other than your job. And I will thank you. Um, <laughs> other than your job, there is nothing for me here. Yeah. And I often hear that in small organizations, whether it's hospital or I've been involved in government and other organizations and other uh, industries. And I will tell you, it's oftentimes what causes individuals who have high talent mm -hmm. to leave an organization because they don't feel uh, that there's opportunity for movement. Now, Mark, what would you say, though, to an individual that was to approach you and say, well, my current company, there's just no movement for me. Does it have to end there? Do you have to always be on that move or or what would you tell and what advice would you give? You know, I'd ask what their ultimate goal is. And I guess that's an important thing to know. I mean, if their ultimate goal really is to be the CEO of a hospital someday, 
they may not stick around that long to have that happen. Again, I go back to, okay, does that mean we don't invest in them knowing they're going to leave? I think we still need to invest in people. I think that's an important element. I think you're going to have higher engagement. You're still going to have higher productivity. If you say to that leader, well, I'm sorry, you're stuck. What's the chances that they're going to continue to be productive, right? But on the other side of that, I also want to keep that person, right? Because they're a high performer, let's say. So what is it I can find for them to do? One of the things I used to do, even as a lab director, was I realized that there were some strengths and some capabilities in my team that were outside of the laboratory career field. And so some of them wanted to grow in the specialty. They wanted to be a better lab tech, so they wanted to learn things. Other people wanted to expand their abilities outside of that. And so I found opportunities for them to expand their reach. And so it wasn't an upward movement. It was more of a lateral movement and enabling them to get outside the laboratory a couple hours a week and do something that was passionate and motivating for them. Then they come back to the lab and they're working harder and they're working better and they're more productive because they're excited about some of the other things that are going on around them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think to your point, if you if your choice is to invest or not invest in that person because you don't have a position for them that you can foresee any time in the future or grow for them any time in the future, if you don't invest in them, you're almost guaranteed to lose them. But if you do invest in them, to your point, you may be able to retain them with some of that lateral support, or they may leave and come back when you do need them in the future. And then you have someone that knows that you invested in their career and then say one of your managers or leaders that you thought was going to be here forever wins the lottery and moves to Hawaii and you never see them again. And now you have an opening. Oh, yeah. Right. You have someone that you invested in that maybe you can bring back, you know, and we have people like that here at Hillsdale Hospital, even just recently that we've brought on as leaders who were here before. They went and worked somewhere else, and we have brought them back into a leadership role. Um, um, Rachel, do do you play the lottery? No. Oh, thank God. Okay. No. God, I'm going to keep her right here. No, she's not moving to. Well, she's not know, moving anywhere. Some people use that analogy, like, "What if they get hit by a bus?" And right. that feels a little morbid. So I changed that to like when the lottery moved to Hawaii, and we never hear right. from them again. Yeah, I like that better. Let's yeah, use that right, one. right. But that's a great point, Rachel. Uh, is, is that we we still need to invest in people, right? No matter what it is, and and I'll tell you, it's a great leader. This is why I, I loved Quinn Studer when when I worked at Studer Group. He was willing to let people go to expand and grow with the, taking a chance that that investment was going to pay off and they were going to be a return, right, for the, to the organization. Right. Right. Good. The greater the risk, the greater the return. Right, exactly. So, Absolutely. All right. So that actually, you know, begs the question, the stakes, are the stakes higher in a rural setting because, you know, our talent pool is more limited, but also sometimes we have that issue of when we do get the good people it can be tough to maintain them because of that those opportunities for them to grow. So um, we also have more significant challenges recruiting our workforce in the first place than our yeah. urban and suburban hospitals might. Mm-hmm. So are the stakes higher for us in rural communities for rural healthcare providers when it comes to engaging our people and doing it really well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely they are. Of course they are. I mean, and, and you've seen that. You know, I, I look at it, if, if you bring in a general surgeon, and that's an expensive person to bring in, right, to a, to a rural hospital. You bring that general surgeon, and they're the only surgeon in your hospital, and, and or maybe you have two. If you lose that surgeon, what does that do to the economic impact of your hospital, of your community? Now, all of a sudden, these people have to go somewhere else to get surgery. It takes you six months, eight months, 10 months to recruit another surgeon to come in. That loss, right, there's a huge loss. At the same time, can we afford to keep somebody who's not fitting in very well? Can we afford to keep somebody, and I'll use the surgeon as an example, if that surgeon is disruptive or if that surgeon causes 
three employees in the organization to leave because they can't work with that person, is that worth it as well? And I would say, no, it's not. And that's a hard decision, right? JJ, as a CEO, that's a decision you have to make. And you've got this whole community that's saying, we need a surgeon. You got to keep that person. And you're going, but they're disrupting my organization. You don't see the five people that left this last month, right? But so, so I don't fault anybody for keeping that person. I don't fault anybody for doing everything they can to keep that opportunity within the community. But at the same time, I would highly respect somebody who can make that decision to say, no, you know what? We're going to do without until we get the right person who fits. And so are there challenges? Absolutely. That surgeon, you know, you go to, you go to the Lansing, you go to Detroit, you go somewhere else, and there are 50,000 people you can choose from. Doesn't mean you're always going to get the best one, but there's a whole lot of pool to pull from. Absolutely. Mark, what what is the biggest issue that organizations overlook when it comes to their people? You know, we're going to have a lot of uh, individuals and leaders listening to this podcast. What advice could you give us and to them when it comes to their people and maybe something simple that they're overlooking? Yeah, it comes down to three things. Get this, three things. One, do the do your does your team as a leader does your team know who you are? Do they know who you are? Meaning, do they know you well enough to know your values, to know who you are? Number two, do they know you're good at what you do? Are you a good leader? Are you? You don't have to be a good um, at the technical part of the job, but are you a good leader? And number three is, do you care about people? So think about this. If every employee knew their leader well and knew that their leader was good, or at least trying to be better as a leader, they're learning, they're growing, they're getting better. And then do they actually care about them? Are we asking the right questions? Are we doing the right things that show those three things? Taking it in the same way, each of your patients. What do your patients want to know about everybody, every caregiver? They want to know who they are. They want to know they're good at what they do. And they want to know they care. I mean, that's the bottom line for everything. We don't tend to think that way as leaders. We try to think about, um, you know, financial obligations and budget. And then we try to think about how many, how do I reduce my turnover? Yes, but the bottom line is simply that. Are you good at what you do? Do you care about people? Who are you? If we can nail that, and it's such a simple thing to do, is just simply having regular conversations. You guys know this term is rounding. Having those regular conversations with people that get to know them, they get to know you, and you find out what makes them tick. When I talked about motivation earlier, we, we can observe people and we can try to find out what motivates them, but how if we just ask them, JJ, what motivates you? What, how do you like to be recognized? What's important to you? And then go and do that thing rather than trying to figure it out for six months observing people and those kind of things, right? So... Excellent. And Mark, I, I want to ask you a question. Um, you know, I've served in a lot of industries uh, in my career, and I've had a chance to supervise teachers. I've had a chance uh, when I was assistant sheriff for a decade, supervising law enforcement, uh, police officers and command staff. And uh, now here at the hospital uh, for 11 years, you know, one of the things in each industry that I've heard, and uh, I want to get your perspective on it. One of the things that I hear is, wow, Morale is so low at the place X, yeah. wherever you are, you know, morale is so low, JJ. And I've heard that, you know, in, in all of the industries that I've ever served. And oftentimes I say, well, you know, leader X, there is no morale department. You know, we don't have, you know, you can't go down the, the, the hallway here and knock on a door and say, hey, I'd like to talk about morales. And because it's, I think, intrinsic, I think it's leadership driven. But what do you say to the organization today? 
almost post-COVID of sorts, right? I mean, where numbers are getting lower. We had the height of COVID for the last year. It's been terrible. Obviously, morale is going to be down, especially when you think about healthcare. You know, we're taking care of the sickest among us. We're watching people die. So how do you handle that issue of morale? Yeah. You know, again, I think it goes back to, to what motivates people. What um, what inspires them? What encourages them? What is it that's different? Now, people are different. Again, 500 people, 500 different answers, you know, potentially. And, and again, I don't really mean there's, it's like there's only four personality types, but there's 500 different people. It's really 500 different personalities, yes. right? Yes. So, yes. So, so the idea that we just need to ask people and get, get, you know, down with them and say, okay, what is it that inspires you? What motivates you? What is it I need to do as a leader to ensure that you have everything you need to do the very best job you can to be the very best person you can? Again, it comes back to who are you? Are you good at what you do? And do you care about me? You know, I think about even generations. You think about different generations that are in a, in a facility. And, and right now, you know, we have four, maybe even five generations. you got somebody who's been working for 52 years in that spot. They're probably one of those single two or three people that are in a totally different generation. What motivates those people? If you, if you have a choice between a day off and a $500 bonus check, and you ask the average person my age, Generation X, they're going to tell you a $500 bonus check. You ask the average 30-year-old millennial, it's a day off. Day right? off. Absolutely. I can't even fathom Absolutely. that. I'm like, no, man, I'll take bonus and keep on plugging away, right? So Absolutely. understanding the differences in what motivates people, how they like to be recognized, what inspires them every day. The other thing that I've really been focused a lot on the last several months is this idea of rebounding. You know, and you're talking about coming out of this this last year and how difficult that was. Rebounding is a, is a term I use that when you think about the term rebound, you typically think um, – you know, to bounce back, right? Or, or there's two terms of rebound. It's the basketball rebound where the ball comes back and you grab it, that's a rebound. Then there's the relationship rebound where you were dating somebody and then you're on the rebound, you're dating this other person, right? There's a fourth definition of rebound when you look at it in the dictionary, and it's this, to bounce back better than before. It's not just to bounce back, it's to bounce back better than before. How do we do that? We need to gather our people together with inspiration and say, what do we need to do, not just to bounce back, to get back where we were? How do we get back and be better than we were before? How do we bounce back and ensure this kind of thing in our facility never happens again? We never get that low on morale. We never get that burnout. We, you know, whatever that is. And look for that inspiration from each other. Mark, it's excellent, excellent answer to that uh, challenge that has plagued leaders for decades. Right. And right. so uh, I'm going to encourage our listeners today um, to, if you want a man of passion, and if you can't hear it in his voice, I tell you what, you're not listening. Turn the volume up. Turn the volume up, sister. <laughs> I want to tell you that Mark is uh, a remarkable leader, uh, a man of passion, and you hear it through his voice. I, I think, Rachel, I would say second to none that we've had on the show uh, in terms of seeing that passion come to full life. Right. You can tell he lives it. He loves it. And uh, for our listeners today, if you want an opportunity to have an inspirational leader speak to your organization, um, I would encourage you to reach out to Mark Noon. You'll have an opportunity to uh, find his information here at the end of this series. But Mark, I want to first of all, thank you for taking the time. Uh, to come out to uh, visit with Hillsdale, yeah. you know, and it's a greater audience. So it's beyond Hillsdale. 
uh, as we have this podcast. And other people in states around the United States are listening to this podcast today. And maybe they're maybe they're listening and they're frustrated because they can't motivate their leaders. Maybe it's their leaders are burnt out. Maybe it's the morale issue. But the great news is we have answers for that. We do. And we know that you are a coaching expert. And I want to thank you for the work you've done uh, in the past, uh, first of all, for your service, uh, second of all, for the opportunity that you've taken to go out on your own, that's tough, and to you know set and blaze a new trail, uh, and to take really some of those concepts that you learned at Studer Group, and I think you and I both would agree, you know, when I went to my first Studer conference, I was like, praise the Lord, bring the Kool-Aid on, man. This is fantastic. Oh, yeah. That is the best Kool-Aid you ever oh, drink. My it's great. I wanted a big, tall glass of it every day. <laughs> and uh, soon, you know, it's like, wow. And then I and then I started to reflect, Rachel, man, I, I need to take this back. I mean, it's one thing to get filled with this. And then I come back and I'm like, yeah. And then you just look at the faces. <laughs> And you're like, well, wait a minute. I want you to be excited. Yeah. And then you look at right. the bases. And they're like, and you're the one that's been to the mountaintop. You got to bring us with bring you it. because you, we're not there yet. You know, and to your point, you got to bring us to the mountaintop. Right. You know, I went and it was fun um, and it was great. And I learned so much. But this is what the value is. Uh, I can't do it alone, Rachel. My, my people only listen to me so much. Right. right. So I have to bring people like Mark in. Mm-hmm. And Mark has to set set my people on fire, right? right? He has to give them passion. And we've done that time and time again. And we see, you know, for months after a speaker arrives here, you know, they're energized and we feel it. And so uh, if you're listening today and your organization needs just an extra boost, I'm going to encourage you to reach out to Mark Noon, his team, and uh, he would be fantastic for you. So Mark, thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. My privilege, my pleasure, JJ, Rachel, thank you so much. I love what you guys are doing. Love Hillsdale Hospital. Um, appreciate your audience and, and look forward to, to future times. Thanks. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Today, we have a letter from Robert, who was a patient in our emergency department. This is Robert's story. Robert is a resident of Monroe County. He served for six years on the board of trustees for his local hospital as chairman of the finance committee. During his tenure there, he helped to recruit, interview, and select a new team of ER doctors. This is what Robert had to say about his experience with Hillsdale Hospital's emergency department in a letter that he wrote to the hospital. As a result of an unexpected injury suffered on November 15, 2020, while deer hunting on my land in Camden, Michigan, it became necessary for me to seek medical attention immediately. I had cut my left hand, tearing open the palm of my hand with a deep wound. I immediately thought of Hillsdale Hospital, even though it was a roughly 25-minute ride to get there It was the closest full-service medical facility in the area. Upon my arrival at the ER, the desk personnel immediately met me and performed a preliminary evaluation of my injury. I was not asked for insurance information at that time, which was a great relief to me. Within one or two minutes, I was moved into the treatment area and met by an ER nurse. She again evaluated my injury and began preparation for the doctor to see me. Several minutes later, Dr. Timothy Mahone entered the room and introduced himself. 
He thoroughly examined my injury and directed staff appropriately to complete blood draws, x-rays, and other preliminary procedures. Once received, he began treatment, constantly talking to me as to what he was doing and why. Even though in considerable pain, he did all he could to mitigate the discomfort. Following suturing my hand, the nurse returned and cleaned my injury from the procedure. The wound was properly dressed, and I was given instruction as to the injury, my follow-up care instructions, and contact information if I needed to contact Hillsdale Hospital. All in all, a great experience with exceptional care provided by all. Congratulations on being part of a dynamic, caring, and skilled medical facility. I will gladly recommend Hillsdale Hospital to those who may need treatment in the area. You know, I love hearing stories like this because it just reminds us how important and how critical rural hospitals are specifically for emergency care. This is one of those things where, um, you know, if we don't have emergency rooms available in our rural communities, things can can get bad for some folks depending on, on the situations that we're dealing with. So it's always great to hear those positive experiences that people are having in our emergency room, one of the most high anxiety places a patient can be. So for them to have a good experience so much so that they would send us a letter about it, really says a lot about our team. Absolutely, Rachel. And I want to tell our listeners that we have nearly 20,000 people a year that pass through our emergency department. And the lives that we save in that emergency department is uh, unmeasurable because it's a loved one, a grandfather, a grandmother, uh, dealing with very serious trauma each and every week uh, that we see walk into that emergency department. So to hear a story like this, it shows just so inspiring. Before we close, Mark, we like to do a fun segment with our guest. So we want to know, what is your most rural, unique experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? You know, I, there's so many places that I've been uh, in rural America, so to speak. And I mean, places where you fly into a, a city and you drive for three, four, five hours to get to a place to, to be able to coach or to, to speak. And it's really, for me, it's about that scenery, getting to see things that are off the beaten path, so to speak, things that you don't normally, um, would normally take time to go and see. But the most unusual one, and this sounds so cliche because there's actually been memes that have been made about this kind of thing, but I remember my first year of working with rural hospitals back in 2013 and driving to a parking lot and getting the parking lot, getting out of my nice little rental car and looking across the parking lot and no kidding, seeing a tractor parked in a slot, right? I mean, that sounds so cliche, like, like you've seen memes about that on the internet all the time, but it really did happen. And I thought, now either that's the, parked there because somebody's plowing the, the, the street with it, or they drove it to the doctor, which is probably the case, right? And so it's just one of those kind of rural things that you're not going to see that downtown Lansing, right? <laughs> Well, Mark, it wasn't just too long ago, actually, right at the end of fall that I was driving into work and on the main street uh, is a tractor and he's pulled to the side of the road. There's nobody on the tractor. The lights are going off. Uh, I pull into my parking spot, which is near the road, and I see the farmer walk out and I knew him. And uh, he was here to get some yeah. tests and he just happened to park where he could with his tractor and he wasn't going to be long. He had to do some blood things, uh, work. And so that's rule. You don't get any more rule right, than that. Do right. you? Well, thanks for joining us today, Mark. We appreciate it. My privilege, my pleasure. Thanks guys. Good to see you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll move to part two in our pillar series, service. 
with one of our very own Hillsdale Hospital leaders. So be sure to tune in. And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct voicemail line at 269-447-1265 or email us at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Mark Noon, principal of Leadership 10. For more interviews like this and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.